0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Our
1: scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Again, we're reading from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Diana. Good morning. Hope you're all well. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. Uh, For those here, it's good to see you. Good to see, again, kind of a a trickle of new faces here and there. Um, For those joining us online, thank you for joining us online. This is one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm really excited about it. Uh, There's a lot of things that I think God's been doing in my own heart uh, around this passage and just this prayer that he'll do some significant things in our heart as a church family around it as well. Uh, Before we do, I wanna share a little bit, uh, just a quick uh, kind of encouraging financial update for where we're at as a church. Talk to you for a moment about generosity and a shift we're doing to our giving platform. So I need to communicate that now. You're gonna get more information this week about it. Um, if you're new to church or engaging online and aren't a part of Park Church, our family, I am just want to say this isn't um, something that we're kind of saying to try to get something out of you in any way. Uh, we actually believe that God cares about uh, kind of our financial stewardship and our generosity, but your presence with us or engagement with us is just a gift. Uh, we're glad you're here. We hope uh, you can be connected. But hopefully in this also you hear some of our heart. Um, as an encouragement, I just want to thank you all for your finan- financial stewardship and generosity in this season. I think in a season where uh, kind of just economically, there's a lot of challenges going on, people that have lost jobs or had cutbacks or are struggling in different reasons uh, financially, Uh, a lot of organizations that have had to make cuts. As a church family, we've been in a really healthy position financially, uh, which is just encouraging. We were able through this season to retain all of our staff, able to continue to support all of the missionaries and missions partners we have in the city and around the world, which is encouraging. But more than that, we are able to kind of go above and beyond to support individuals and organizations around the city that have been in real financial hardship and real financial need. So we raised and gave as a church family through you all, all over $80,000 above and beyond the sort of like normal giving that we give towards different efforts. If on a kind of typical year, we're giving around $250,000 towards missionaries, church plans, partnerships around the city and around the nation and around the world. Um, this year, we were able to raise over $80,000 more to give to individuals that were in need, people that lost their job, people that couldn't pay for rent or struggling to pay for utilities or groceries, organizations that were struggling. And a lot of that didn't happen by you all giving money to Park. And then park giving money kind of like organizationally. We actually pushed a lot of that through our gospel communities. We have around 45 gospel communities around the city. And uh, we gave grants. And so many of you kind of raised above and beyond from within your gospel community to care for your neighbor to care for somebody you're connected to. And so to watch this church display the generosity of God, steward your resources with faith and hope and love is beautiful. So I just want to say thank you. I think we were able to show the generous love of God in really stunning and significant ways in this season. So I want to thank you for it. So what I'm about to share about generosity has nothing to do with, hey, we really need you. We are dying and struggling. We're actually in a really healthy spot. We ended our fiscal year in a really healthy place financially through your faithfulness and through God's kindness through you all. So we thank you for it. But I think we have a tendency, I have a tendency, this is more of a confession, that like if we're kind of like healthy financially as a church, just kind of avoid talking about money because it's awkward in churches because of some of the baggage people carry into it. And, uh, and I don't think that's faithful to what God has for us because he talks about generosity as a huge piece of what he's wanting to cultivate in our hearts as disciples of Jesus. And so as we think about generosity, I wanna encourage you with just a, a couple of things. That God actually wants to grow in your heart a heart of generosity because you were designed for it. You were designed as a human being to be a generous person that reflects the image of a generous God. And so when you live into your design as those who show sacrificial generosity to others by stewarding your finances, your time, your gifts, your resources for the good of other people, you're living into who you are designed to be as a human being. There's a ton of science that affirms this, that the kind of generosity actually cultivates joy within you because you're living into something you are made for. The Bible says it clearly. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a part of what you're made for. So I want to encourage you as a, as a human being, as a follower of Jesus, to grow in the way you think about generosity, but also your generosity like Chris spoke on last week, it reveals something about what you value in your deepest heart. And so to pay attention to what you give and invest your money and your resources towards helps you understand the types of things you're valuing. And so to think about a valuing of the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God that we'll see in some of this passage, um, it's powerful to think about what does it mean to actually steward our resources towards the things that last and matter in the world. And the last is I love the mission that God's given us as a church. I think in a season where there's so many challenges, uh, there are hard things happening in the world, there are hard things happening in so many lives around our community, and it's in the midst of that, I actually believe God's doing a deep, deep work in us as human beings, in us as his people. I have a feeling that we'll look back on this year as one of the most transformative years of our lives. And it probably won't be because you thought like, man, I really crushed it in 2020, I wasn't anxious, I wasn't overwhelmed, I didn't freak out, I never got mad at people, I was never isolated and lonely, I just kinda crushed it in 2020. That's not typically how we grow. Typically how we grow is we go through a really hard thing and we endure, and we hang on to Jesus, and in hanging on to Jesus, enduring and persevering through a challenge, he deepens our faith, he brings us a richer experience of his presence and his love, and actually grows us and matures us. So my sense is, as hard as 2020 has been for you, and I don't know all of the details of what that's been in your life, and I don't mean to kind of underplay that, but as hard as it's been, I have this feeling that it will end up being one of the more transformative years of your life. Not, not because you kind of crushed it, but because God did deep work to actually strip away certain things that were holding you back from the joy that he wants to give. And so because of that, we want to be a people that are growing in our generosity. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you, I'm just going to be really specific about three things you could do to grow in your generosity as we think about us as a church family. And one is if you've never given to your church family, if this is your church family and you call this your home, and this is the community you're a part of and that you're coming and engaging in. I want to encourage you, if, you, if you've never been to begin giving, just to try it, to give something. Um, you can go to parkchurch.org forward slash give. Notice that didn't say Park Church Denver. We bought the Park Church website so you don't have to type Denver anymore, which is great. Um, yeah, cheers. Uh, all of our staff's like, that's such a good news because we're Typing Denver is a real struggle in life over and over. Parkchurch.org forward slash give. You can find information. But just to take a step and give. Just take a little step of obedience towards this life of generosity. Or maybe you've given sporadically in the past. Another thing you could do to grow in your generosity, in particular towards the local church, would be to start giving regularly. Just to make giving a regular part of your life. I know for me, whenever I began saying, hey, instead of just like when I feel like it and it feels good, I'm going to kind of sew this into the fabric of my life into the priorities of the way I steward my finances, which is a, a big step. And so maybe it's beginning to give regularly. Or maybe you do give regularly, and this is what's been convicting to me, uh, but you've kind of Im- approached a sort of like, okay, I picked a percentage, I give this percentage, or I give this dollar amount, and I feel good about that, and so I kind of like feel free to do what with whatever I want with the rest of my money, like a legalistic checkbox, like I give this percent of money to the church, and now this is mine to do with whatever I want. And I wonder, and this is what I've been asking recently, and I have to ask with my family, how might God want to grow our generosity in this season? That might be towards the local church. It might be towards other people or other needs or other opportunities or organizations. But what if you saw everything that you have as a gift from God to be stewarded? and to be leveraged for his kingdom, for his glory, to reflect his image and sure that absolutely means taking care of your family and providing. But how might God want to grow in you a generosity in the way you think about your financial resources? And so I wanna encourage you to think about that and to think what, could I take one of those steps? Could I take a step to give for the first time? Could I take a step to become more of a regular giver? Could I take a step to grow in my generosity? And we think when we do that, not only are we resourced as a church to do really beautiful things and continue the work that we've been doing, but it actually grows in your heart, grows your joy, grows your sense of happiness as you live into this wisdom of Jesus that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and so Ryan Gannett, our director of operations, will be sending out some information this week about a shift from our giving platform. We're going to be shifting from CCB uh, to a new platform, which will help us to kind of create some new opportunities and ways that people can give. I think that'll be helpful, Um, so be expecting that. Be looking for that. We're going to be kind of pushing that shift. I want to give you a heads up for it. Um, but would encourage you kind of at the more vision level to open up your heart and say, God, how do you want us to grow in our generosity? Um, I wanted to speak to that at the beginning of of this sermon because that's not the sort of like application of this sermon. I'm not trying to say Jesus taught this thing about actually liberating you and rescuing you from anxiety that's found and living for material goods, therefore give to the church. What Jesus has in mind for you is so much bigger than that. It's so much more beautiful, it's so powerful. And uh, it's something that God's been stirring in my heart and around a lot. And so um, let's take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Matthew 6 together. Um, Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we right now come before you with thankfulness. I'm really grateful for this church family. As I see people and connect with people throughout the week, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for your kindness towards us, your grace. I'm grateful even in a challenging season the way you're growing us. Even where there's challenging conversations or um, things that you're doing in each of us that are kind of meeting us in different ways. I just have a sense that you're doing good work. uh, Powerful work in our community and I wanna say thank you. Uh, Would today you pour out your spirit on us to open our eyes to your vision for our life and would you set us free? Would you liberate us, rescue us from the bondage of living for material things, and give us the joy and the gladness that you've designed for your kingdom people in this world. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Um, I, I do wanna be honest about this passage. I, I as I worked through it this week, just felt a weight of it, a weight of it for my own life, and a weight of it for your life. Um, I, if, truth be told, I'm concerned, I'm concerned for myself, and I'm concerned for us. And this passage kind of heightens my sense of concern, but it also gives me a lot of hope. Um, because what Jesus is teaching in here, I think will be and could be liberating for you. And so I want to encourage you, as we open up our heart to God's word, which is living, it's alive, his spirit is present, um, to really engage at a sort of like emotional, spiritual, mental level, saying, God, what do you want to teach me today? Because I think what God wants to do is he wants to liberate us, to rescue us, From the bondage to this pursuit and preoccupation with material things that plagues our society and plagues many of our lives. Uh, It was about a year ago where I... September of 2019. I remember it really vividly because it was a very powerful image. I was in just in a position of I was tired. I was kind of overwhelmed with life. I was anxious. I was preoccupied. I was kind of busying myself, doing a lot of stuff with work. And then at home, I was like doing all these house projects. And then like anytime I had this like idle moment, the sort of like anxiety and turbulence in my heart was kind of overwhelming. And so the way I would choose to escape that would just be to watch TV. And every night it's like, what am I going to watch? What are we going to watch? And I just want to like escape the tension and escape the sort of like turbulence that it was just like unsettling in my heart and I would find myself watching episodes of things over and over again and to kind of like staying up later, waking up the next day exhausted and getting back after the work, staying busy, feeling like if I can stay busy, I can kind of like get the world and my life the way I want it to be Then end the day, overwhelmed, anxious, distract myself, numb myself and escape in some way or another. And my guess is that's something that's common for many people in our community, uh, for many of you. This practice of busy work, strive, feel some anxiety, feel some stress, feel kind of overwhelmed, feel kind of preoccupied, then escape those tensions through some kind of like method. Some of them feel relatively innocent, some of them feel explicitly unhealthy or sinful, but nonetheless it's a desire to escape the anxiety and the stress and the burden that living for the things of this world can can bring. And I had this image from this parable in Matthew 13, where it's this parable of a sower. Uh, uh, who's like a farmer who's sowing seeds into the earth, and the seeds represent the Word of God and its ability to land on human lives to bring real transformation, to bring real life, vibrant, flourishing life. But there's different types of soil that that seed can land on, and so Jesus in his teaching talks about different types of, of ground. One of the grounds is this rocky path where This bird that represents spiritual forces of darkness comes and plucks away the seed before it can ever take root and bring change into your life. There's a spiritual enemy that's after your heart and that does not want you to receive God's wisdom for life, the truth, and the transformative and liberating power of God's word does not want you to receive that. And then another type of ground is this kind of dry ground where the seed lands and it gets some shallow roots, but then it grows up and just the kind of trials of this world scorch it and the seed withers because in the midst of the trials, there's this kind of running away from the word of God to try to like satiate your life and uh, build a flourishing life apart from God's word. And then the third type of seed, and this is the image that hit me really hard on this particular evening about a year ago, is a seed that lands in the ground and And the thorns, it kind of grows, it it kind of like grows, it gets some roots and it starts growing and then these thorns come around and essentially choke out the seed, leads the seed to this plant that could flourish, it starts suffocating it and ultimately destroying it. And what Jesus says is those thorns represent the cares or another translation of that word is the anxieties of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And that's what this passage is about. It's about the anxieties of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And what Jesus is teaching is those anxieties, those burdens, those stressors, and the lie that you can actually build a flourishing life by accumulating more and more material possession. And whatever that accumulation gives you in terms of social status or kind of adoration or respect or a sense of like self-worth in the eyes of other people, whatever you're trying to get for it's a lie and it has the ability to choke out your faith in God to actually lead to a withering life. And the image I had on this night in September was, was not, I think I'd always read this passage and like, oh, I need to watch out for that. I need to watch out for that. I need to watch out for that. And I felt the image was like, no, no, no son, this is from Jesus to me, like you're already getting choked out. This isn't a potential of what could happen in the future. Your vision of and kind of experience of like life with me is a choked out, suffocated, anemic, withering version of Christianity. I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. I want you to flourish. I want you to be free. I want you to have joy. I want to liberate you, but you're getting choked out. And the image for me was these thorns that were just kind of wrapping around. At first I thought like, oh man, it's wrapping around my leg and Jesus is trying to free me. And the image shifted. And I was like, no, I'm like holding on to them. I want this. I want the cares of this world. I want the things of this world. I want to upgrade my lifestyle and take the next step and take the next step. I have a vision of the life I want and I'm chasing it and it's killing me. And what I felt from Jesus is him very clearly saying, I'm trying to rescue you from this. I'm trying to rescue you from this. And I think that's what he wants to do through this passage in my life and in your life. He wants to rescue you from the toxic and lethal anxiety that comes when you live for the things of this world. He wants to rescue you from the toxic and lethal Anxiety that comes when you live for the things of this world. And so, what I want us to do is to see it in Matthew six. Uh, the logic behind Matthew six is is uh, really significant. He gives a, a ton of logic behind this. Uh, but if you've ever struggled with stress or anxiety, uh, or walked through life with somebody that was struggling with stress or anxiety, logic doesn't always get you. You know, it's like, well, if you just think logically for a minute, it's like, you know, you might get a middle finger or to the face. You know, uh, the conversation like rationalizing your way out of anxiety doesn't typically work because anxiety is hitting your brain in your life, not typically through the sort of like thinking part. It's hitting in the deeper fear, emotional aspects of who you are. So what I love about the passage is Jesus isn't just getting to the logic or the rational reasons why you shouldn't be anxious and don't need to be anxious. He actually gets into the relational side. At At the bottom of this passage is a father who sees you and knows you and loves you. And when your mind and your heart get around his presence, his care, his attention to your life, and the vision for his kingdom, then you can be set free from the anxieties and the worries that plague you right now. And so uh, we're going to start in the the very beginning. I want you to see this right, right at the beginning. I think it's... Powerful. Um, there's a few things Jesus is not is not doing here. Uh, one thing he's not saying that money is bad. Chris talked about that last week. He's not saying money is bad. The Bible never says money is bad. The love of money is the kind of craving for more and more financial accumulation is. And he's not saying possessions are bad. Uh, the word right before the section, which is mammon, that Chris talked about last week, is more about material possessions. It's just stuff. It's the things you can accumulate in this life. And stuff's not bad. Rightly understood finances and possessions can be received as gifts from God. One, to understand his generosity, his kindness, his care, whether that's in culture, the gift of family, or the gift of a home. All these things are these little images of God's care, God's love, God's presence. When they're rightly ordered under his kingdom, under his reign, under his vision for life. But when you kind of push those to the top and are driven or become a slave to those things, they will kill you. The biblical terminology there is idolatry. You've taken the place of God and you've shifted it and you've taken created things and gone to them to give you what God alone was designed to give you. And so he's not talking about the the, the kind of those things kind of in themselves being bad, but the sort of obsession with them. The obsession. And so this word here for anxiety, it's merimnao, which is essentially this Greek word that's just like a preoccupation with. So it's this kind of mental energy, like your mind is buzzing around these certain things, always thinking about these things, always moving towards how you're going to kind of like kind of bend your life towards this certain kind of outcome. And typically when your mind is kind of preoccupied with or worried about or angsty about or kind of thinking constantly about, kind of obsessed with material things, It'll kill you. But the other thing that's not happening in this passage is he's not just saying, don't be anxious. Like, oh, you're struggling with anxiety about stuff. Stop it, you know? Like, I command you, stop. That's not what's happening. He actually gives loads of reasons. And in fact, the very first word in this section, if you look at it, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. It's not just don't be anxious about your life, it's therefore, I tell you. So let's go back to conjunction junction. Anybody's School of Rock? Um, It's not School of Rock. What's it called? School of Rock is also good, it's worth watching. Again, yeah, Schoolhouse Rock. There it is, Schoolhouse Rock. Um, Conjunction junction, right? Like uh, this little conjunction, technically a conjunctive adverb, is connecting two things. All these commands about not being anxious, which is command to not be anxious shows up five or six times in this passage alone. The commands are flowing from something else that we actually looked at last week that Chris was preaching about, which is these kind of two ways of, view, of viewing the world. And so these two ways of viewing the world that, that Jesus talked about last, he had three sets of two. One is your treasure. If you're treasuring the things of this earth, the things of this earth are gonna erode and corrode and moths are gonna eat them and they're gonna get destroyed. And Anything you can accumulate in this life is ultimately doomed for destruction. If you live for the things of the kingdom, if you live for the glory of God and for his reign and trust in his eternal, unshakable love and his unshakable kingdom and the, the beauty of his mission to reconcile people into his love and to give us joy in relationship with God and to bring redemption and restoration to the earth through the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, when you orient your heart that way and live according to that vision for life, there's actually eternal treasure that will never erode, never corrupt, never get eaten. And so you have these like options. You're going to live for things that are doomed for destruction or things that will last forever. The second pair is this kind of healthy eye and this unhealthy eye. And the core of what Jesus is talking about in this kind of vision of life, he's essentially saying that the eye is the way you see life. And so when like the lights are on, if, if you're kind of walking through life and you can see clearly, you can see reality as it is, you can walk outside today and you see the little patch of ice on your driveway, you see the kind of the thing that you might bump into, and you can kind of walk through life in a healthy way, where you're like living according to reality. And reality, in this context, is the reality of the arrival of God's kingdom. That Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God, where you can know the love of God, walk with him, and live for him forever. And when you're oriented around that, then you're seeing clearly, and you're not going to stumble through life. When your light is off, and you're walking in the darkness, when you have an unhealthy eye, it's like, it's like going outside in the dark, and you didn't know it snowed last night, and you slipped, and you fell And then you walked through the room and you bumped your leg on the table and you ran into somebody else and you're kind of like clumsily kind of making your way through life, just finding yourself getting hurt and hurting others. And what is that? That's saying when you're not seeing the world as it is, When you're you're thinking that life and joy and liberty comes through greed and accumulation and striving to build things on your own, that's not life in the kingdom. That's life separated from the presence of God. We're trying to achieve all these things in your own effort and by your own ingenuity and your own resourcing and your own wisdom, and you're trying to build life. And so you kind of constantly are thinking, well, if I could get the next vacation or the next home or the next car or just a raise or more money or more resources, then I'll be happy. And what you'll find is that's walking in the darkness That's not God's wisdom for life. And you're gonna stumble through life constantly feeling dissatisfied, disenfranchised, constantly feeling frustrated and anxious and overwhelmed. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the kingdom is here. I'm here. I'm here to bring you to the satisfier, the lover of your soul, and to his eternal, unshakable kingdom. And then he says you can kind of present your life to either of these things. The pursuit of stuff that you can gain in the world or to the kind of living for the glory of God. One of these things is gonna own you. And if you can see clearly, and if you believe the arrival of God's kingdom, the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, then you can be set free from this slavery to stuff. You can have a healthy eye and live for the things, this sort of generous living that gives life and joy, and you can invest your life in the things that will never perish. And Jesus says, when your heart gets around the presence of God and his eternal kingdom, you don't need to be anxious about anything. Anything. You don't need to be anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to put on. You don't need to be anxious about this stuff. It says it right there in verse 25. Is not your body more than clothing? Is not your life more than food? What he's saying as he kind of gets into these reasons, he's saying that life is more than sustained existence or improved existence. Often we think about living, and if you're honest, I bet this is true of you in certain ways. It is of me that a lot of my energy is either sustaining life, and then once you find, like, all right, I've got this sort of basic needs, I've got food, I've got clothing, I've got a home, I've got this sort of, like, basic things, now I'm gonna just, like, improve them. Improve the food, find the next restaurant, find the next, kind of, coffee shop, find the next bar, improve the clothing, kind of upgrade the, the style a little bit, improve the house, improve the car, improve the, like, I'm gonna, kind of, like, get to a place of sustaining my life and then improving my life, and Jesus is saying, isn't life more than this? Do you exist to survive and upgrade your life little by little until it's all gone? Is that it? That's not it, it's the kingdom. The kingdom through which God's transforming people, reconciling people to the love of the Father and bringing transformation and healing to the world. And if you get your mind and heart around that, then you're not gonna be as anxious and overwhelmed about the things that'll ultimately fade away. So That's his really first argument. And then he starts giving these images. There's this image of a bird. Look at it in, starting in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And I love that. What Jesus is saying is that the God of the universe, the ruler of the heavens and the earth, values you. He cares about you. How did he get that? we said, I I sat down one day and I was eating lunch and I saw birds. And I watched the birds. And I watched how the birds were singing their song and they were eating. And and I I couldn't find storehouses. There were no storage sheds where they could accumulate all their extra worms for the next day. They didn't seem to be looking at other birds with their nests. I mean, like, that birch branch is a way hipper nest than my pine over here. Right? Like, they're, like, not worried about that. But what I love about the passage is Jesus actually looks at this really ordinary thing. You're like, how did the bird eat? Well, the bird woke up, the bird went, the bird found a worm, the bird took the worm back, fed it, ate it, and fed it to its family. That's what the bird did. And Jesus is like, no, God fed the bird. In this sort of ordinary living thing, God fed the bird, that God was sovereign over the bird, that in the bird finding the worm for the day and feeding its family, God was caring for the bird. As you work at your job and you go to work and engage in the things you do, all these things are gifts from God. It's God caring for you. And it's not like the birds aren't passive. They're very active, but they're not stressed out. And Jesus is saying, you are way more valuable to God than a bird. He cares about you. He values you. The God of the universe values you. He's paying attention. He sees you. And he cares to take care of you, to meet you. And start opening your eyes to the ways he's already done that in your life, the things he's given you, the ways he's provided, the ways he's showed his love. And he says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? Which I just think is comedic in a sense. Essentially what he's saying is like, all right, you're stressed out about, like, you got to find food. That's like a thing you got to do. You got to have clothing and shelter. These are like things you got to do. And then like when you layer on top of that anxiety about it all, it just like adds, it doesn't like add days to your life. It just makes everything that you already are doing harder. And you know that with anxiety, and, and I don't mean to make light of it. I think if we could just like snap our finger and turn off anxiety, now, that'd be great, but when you feel anxious and overwhelmed, it makes everything harder. Your vision for life, your ability to think well and love well and live well, just starts getting clouded by this weight of anxiety and this this kind of undercurrent, this noise that just sort of buzzes over your life. He's saying this doesn't add to your life, and then he gives this image of a field. He goes, "Look at the fields. Uh, this is right here in verse 28." Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying God has adorned the fields with flowers and beauty because it's his creation. And I don't mean this in any cheesy way. And I mean this with all sincerity. And I hope you receive it from God's word. He designed you beautifully. Beautifully. And we try to adorn it. We try to soup it up. We try to upgrade. We try to do different things. Like, I want to be kind of like, I need to prove to everybody else that I'm like, you know, comparable and I'm trying to get everybody else to like see me as like, you know, somebody that's worthy of honor, respect by the things I can accumulate or by the clothes I wear, by my style of life or whatever it is, material possessions and achievements and all these things I can do. And I'm trying to like, make myself worthy of love. And God's like, oh, he closed the fields where the grass is like gonna go away tomorrow and the lawn's gonna get mowed and the harvest is gonna come and it's gonna get trampled under the feet of the the animals and he's clothed them with beauty. He's He's gonna continue to care for you and he already values you. He already sings over you. And then he says, these, the Gentiles, these are the things that Gentiles, those who are not a part of the family of God, who don't know the love of God, these are the things that they strive for. Why? Because they don't know the security of being loved by the God of the universe, and so they're busy actually living for things to try to, like, um, gain that in their own striving, in their own effort. And he's saying, when you live for the things of this world, you're living as if you don't already have this relationship with the God who loves you. So he says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think it's a powerful thing, like the the reasons he's giving for this heavenly Father who sees you, knows you, loves you, and cares about you is powerful. And if I could just say that and it would enter your head and the logic of that reality would make its way into your heart, you'd be free. But that's not how it typically happens. Why? Why is it so hard? Because knowing about the love of God is not the same as experiencing the love of God. Like you're getting a letter from somebody saying, hey, I really love you and I really think, you know, I'm really glad that you're here is different than like feeling that day in and day out the way they care for you and notice you and encourage you and love you and support you. If you're in a marriage and you say, I love you over and over and over again, but you don't show love, then the, the words I love you aren't gonna actually be like transformative and healing the way that, true, like, demonstrated active love can be. And so what I find in this passage is the kind of relational underpinning of this is what's so beautiful, but it's hard for us to engage relationally. Like, if, if you think about the things that actually grow your heart, it's typically not learning about merely, but it's something about this experiential love, and this is why I've been praying all week that the Spirit of God would do something real in your life like deep in your life, to take the reality that the God of the universe sees you, knows you, loves you, values you, pursues you, is interested in you, would make its way from your head into your heart, deeper, in a way that would be liberating and healing and transformative. I'm begging God for that reality today. And why is it so hard? We're gonna take some time next week and talk more broadly about this passage and how the love of God meets us, and all the different sort of like emotional struggles that we have, and why right thinking often doesn't immediately translate to this like liberating experience, how God brings transformation in a more holistic way. But I, I want to say today um, that the rhythms of our life, the kind of culture that we live in, is lying to you every day. You are surrounded by a culture that is bought into the lie that Value, meaning, worth, status, is happiness, joy, are, are coming through achieving and accumulating more and more things. And often it's not the things in themselves that we are aiming for, it's what we get from those things. There's a guy named Alain de Baton, who's kind of a, a pop philosopher of sorts. He wrote this book called Status Anxiety. Um, and, and it's essentially the anxiety we get constantly from our social situation. And here's what he says. The predominant impulse behind our desire to rise in the social hierarchy may be rooted not so much in the material goods we can accrue or the power we can wield as in the amount of love we stand to receive as a consequence of high status. Money, fame, and influence may be valued more as tokens of and means to love rather than ends in themselves." saying a lot of what we're trying to do when we're living for material things is trying to prove that we're worthy of love to somebody. And so we compare ourselves to some reference group, some peer group, the people you graduated high school with, your your co-workers, your brothers and sisters, your old friends, your small group, and you look at other people and you see them living and you see their social media accounts and you see like, and they've got stuff you don't have and they seem to be happier based on their social media account than you are. And you think, if I just had that, then I would like be accepted and be loved and be happier. And then and then maybe you do, maybe you kill it and you outpace all your peers and you find yourself now in a new peer category with a new reference group and you look around like somebody else still has a little bit more and somebody else has a little bit more and it's this sort of like endless cycle that says more, more, more and all it leads you to is more and more anxiety more and more stress, more and more depression more and more dissatisfaction and Jesus has come into this moment to say I've come to reconcile you to a heavenly father who loves you already. You don't have to achieve anything, accumulate anything, and Jesus didn't just come to rescue us by teaching. He came to rescue us through his life, his death, and his resurrection, where he demonstrated the love of God for you. If you wondered, does God really love me? Consider the cross of Christ, where Jesus laid down his life to wash you, cleanse you, free you, and to reconcile you to God. And look at the resurrection, how God's filled you with his spirit and made you alive and given you this opportunity to walk with him every day. And when you live your life accordingly, when you live your life paying attention to the presence of God and the reality of his kingdom, it's liberating. You're surrounded by things that are gonna beckon you to a different vision of life. People that are using advertising and social structures to push you in a different way. And so it's so important that you begin creating rhythms in your life to set your mind on God's kingdom first, to wake up in the morning and say, God's love, God's presence, God's kingdom first, before the news, before the stocks, before the social situations, like God's love, God's presence, God's kingdom first. And to organize your life and say, I'm going to put these things before my eyes. I'm going to seek and set my mind and my eyes and my vision on God's vision for the world before all these other lies and deceptive things are going to turn me away and bring me back to anxiety and doom. And you can. You can wake up tomorrow. You can go home tonight and say, God, I want your kingdom first. I want your presence first. I want to prioritize your nearness to me and your love because I want freedom. I want joy. And that's what Jesus has come to give us. Let's pray together. Um, Jesus, we come right now, and we need you. Uh, We need you all around this room. uh, We desperately need you. And all around this city, in homes, in apartments, uh, we need you. And so would you liberate us? Would you rescue us? And would you bring us into your joy, the joy and the freedom and the life that comes from knowing your presence and living for your kingdom?